You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Ajit, and welcome to a new episode of Sunny Side Up with Bjorn Engelhardt. A uh, very, very interesting person uh, since the time we've been talking about it. Uh, we spoke about very common things about uh, India and his journeys towards it and the experiences, goods and bads. But there's more about it that we're going to talk with him. So before I get there, let's a quick intro about him. He's a vice president for Forcepoint Technologies. Usually based out of Singapore, though, uh, pandemic or I would say COVID is keeping him locked down in the sunshine coast of Queensland, Australia. What a beautiful place, I would say. Uh, in the current role, he's responsible for leading the team across the region and driving Force Points enterprise sales strategy. Uh, well, uh, if I want to talk about his passion, he loves to help organizations achieve great outcomes, you know, with a commitment to building high-performing sales team. Uh, he's he spent almost 30 years of his career in Asia-Pacific in roles in spanning businesses, uh, IT, and consultancy. Uh, His technology experience also includes like security, data center, and virtualization network, application infrastructure, software as a service, and emerging technologies. Very, very varied uh, spectrum that I would say. The most important part now about him, which I also like, and he is the co-founder for He for She Singapore, which is an organization uh, which is actively working in unlocking opportunities, you know, by working towards gender parity in the workforce. Um, well, outside of the office, I think we both have a same passion about combining the best of cycling and food, uh, wine and travel, I think, uh, there is something which we spoke very, very interesting about his bicycle rides. He did share some interesting pictures with us. Uh, well, I'll take his permission if I can share with any, anybody of you. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, so welcome to the show, Bjorn. And, uh, you know, uh, it's exciting to have this conversation with you today. Thank you. Um, it's, it's always exciting to, uh, you know, to, to have a different conversation. Too often it's all about work and what we do at Force Point or whichever company we're working at. So to have a kind of a broader conversation is very exciting and uh, uh, particularly about some of the passions that I have. Fantastic. That's so good to hear about you. Uh, well, uh, before we uh, kick on to our main discussion or we get into there, uh, you know, I would suggest why don't you walk through your background in the APAC region, you know, with us and ultimately what you what you got you end up here basically where you're right now. Yeah, okay, sure, uh, Ajit. And uh, yeah, I just just going back to your opening, uh, I, I won't say I, it would be unfair to say I'm locked down on the Sunshine Coast. I might be stuck here, but uh, yeah, thankfully, uh, you know, Australia has done a pretty good job of uh, managing uh, the, the situation, and uh, you know, I hope it continues that way. But look, I I, I came to the Asia Pac region. Um, I, I was born in Scandinavia, as the name may suggest, and uh, moved with my parents a little bit, and we ended up in Melbourne in the uh, early 1970s. 
uh, and I consider the Asia-Pac region to be my home. Um, I, I, I grew up in Australia, but I've lived probably as much time outside Australia and Asia-Pac that as, as I've lived in Australia. Uh, and, you know, I've had a variety of careers uh, and jobs uh, through different companies through that time. Uh, you know, when you're young, you don't know what you do, so you follow your father and other people. In I did accountancy, and I thought that was exciting until the first day I started work, and I realised accountancy wasn't <laughs> maybe not that exciting for me. Right. Um, but I always had a passion for technology, and when I was uh, in my high school years, I wrote a book on programming for the Apple computer. I guess that was back when you could apples were simple and you could understand uh, some of the programming languages, uh, etc. But I always had this passion for technology uh, and, um, you know, through, I guess, different sources. I ended up at a, a small Australian startup company uh, and they said, Bjorn, why don't you go and try and st- start up our business in Korea and Singapore and Hong Kong, etc." And, you know, me, of course I can do that. You know, it's very exciting. Uh, and, and that was probably when that would have been 1990s, 92, 93, I had this. You know, I was given the job to go out there and uh, open up the market for a very small Australian company, and I think that's when uh, I was bitten by you know, the bug of uh, both travel, uh, the diversity of the Asia Pac region, but also you know the opportunity that the region lent. And uh, you know, through a series of acquisitions, and I always feel kind of fortunate. I've I've always been acquired. I feel like I've kind of maybe been traded uh, from uh, company to company. You know, I joined this small Australian company. We were acquired by Citrix. I spent a long time there developing my career, almost 10 years in that organisation. You know, I had some of the most amazing experiences, the first person at Citrix to go into India, uh, your home country, and as we opened up uh, the market there, and we can share some of those experiences a bit later. Um, I left that, joined another emerging technologies company that was doing email archiving and said, well, why would you want to keep emails? They're not that important. Suddenly, emails are the most important uh, business record that we share every day, and that company was acquired, and I built my career through Veritas and Symantec through that. And I think uh, those companies have really formed uh, you know, who I am as a leader. I've had some great leaders in, in, in those uh, companies, uh, I've had some absolute terrible leaders who I've learned a lot from, learned not what to do. And uh, yeah, it, it's given me some great perspective on the world that we operate in and the opportunities, I think, for adopting technology. Also learning, I think, Ajit, what works in one country in APAC doesn't necessarily work in another. And I, I had, a, had a great boss who kind of uh, framed it well that everybody, so not everybody, a lot of people look at APAC as a homogenous region, maybe more like Europe, a confederate of countries or states, but it's not. It's really just a name that we give it to sort of a, as an umbrella for an incredible number of diverse and completely disconnected countries that sometimes have nothing in common. Uh, and you learn that through your process that APAC isn't a single place. Uh, you 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 have to look at it very differently. So, you know, I've had an amazing career. I think one you, you said thirty years experience. I sometimes try to look back and say, what have I learned each year? You know, what have I gained? You know, have I? You know, what is the experience I gained through each of those interactions, each new country, each new company? Um, I consider myself incredibly fortunate. The, the the career and the opportunities I've had. Fantastic. Uh, you know. Uh, Thank you so much for that uh, walkthrough. And, uh, you know, it was pretty in- interesting. I, I think uh, 
when you said about uh, uh, the acquisition aspect and you were always aware of it. I think I'm just experiencing it because we were been acquired by demand-based very, very recently. So uh, going through those cycles and, you know, excitements uh, these days. Also, I like that what you highlighted, I think APAC is just a name been given to the geography, but you rightly mentioned um, it's it's 20 different countries, I would say, with yeah. completely diverse culture and they have their own way of working in every aspects, I would say. So uh, no doubt, and I think we'll we'll talk more about it. I think that's where we're going to head in our conversation today. So uh, my first question to you would be APAC, or we we can call it ANZ or JPAC. There's still an emerging economies in a in a some another way basically, and they are always been experimenting with this new technology and trying to shape the landscape. So what are your thoughts on this? Mm. Yeah, I, it's kind of interesting. You're talking to a self-confessed geek who loves technology for the sake of technology. Uh, and sometimes I have to hold myself back because there are times where I say, this is the most amazing tech. And, you know, hopefully my wife's not listening in because she'll say the house is cluttered with automation and things. And so I, I, I guess I, I, I'm a lover of technology, and I believe you actually have to be a lover of technology and a believer in it if you, uh, if you work in the industry to truly you know, help understand you know, what, it can be, what it can do for organisations and countries. Um, you know, I think uh, you're, you're right. There are two, two scenarios I see here in Asia, Pac. You have developed markets like Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, and you have developing markets, and let's call it maybe Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, India, etc. Um, uh, and what you see is the developed economies don't have the scale, and so they rely on technology to be competitive. That the developing countries are uh, uh, they rely on technology to advance uh, their, uh, I guess, their economies, their people, their organisations quicker. So. Yeah, new technologies have different roles to play uh, in, in each of those countries. I think one of the things I love is when a technology starts up or, you, you know, I, I was in India when payments were, uh, mobile phones were being used for payments very early. It was pretty rudimentary. It was kind of like text-based. But you see that uh, it was solving a problem very quickly Uh Whereas you go to Australia, the payment traditional banking system was was pretty prevalent and uh, you know, accessible for everybody, so it wasn't something that was needed. Um, but I, I think one thing I look at Arjit, is really um, uh, the social impact of some technologies. I, I think there, you, know, you there are technologies that are there that you know, and, and you know, let's for example talk about gaming or gambling, etc. Yeah, it's been a new thing that uh, it's one of the fastest growing areas. I always question, you know, uh, access to, you know, do we need to spend more money and bet on things, for example? Are we being sociable, responsible, uh, socially responsible in those areas? So, you know, kind of question is certain types of technologies and applications come in. What I do find valuable, though, uh, is you look at um, particularly, and you, you talked about um, uh, my, my involvement with He for Sheep. Uh, which is really driven around, um, you know, I have a daughter who's uh, entering the workforce and uh, and I want her to have the same opportunities that I had as a man. And I, I still think that across the board, uh, men have more opportunities. But as you get into emerging countries, a lot of women struggle with the opportunities that men have had. 
Uh, and when you're seeing that there are technologies being implemented like microloans for women only to help them in certain industries, you kind of say, hey, this is this is good technology. This is technology that's good for society. It's good for women. It's good for families, uh, etc. So I, I find those areas particularly interesting and on the same stream where technology can be used to increase education. Um, you know, the access to content and education now is much broader than it was in the early days. We'd had to go and find a library or schools or something that, you know, with mobile phones and device and tablets and internet being quite widespread, the access to new educational opportunities, uh, you know, is, is really strong as well. Absolutely. And I think, uh, uh I completely agree to your all viewpoints that you just mentioned because uh, it's quite relatable. And I think uh, uh, that's why my next question is because you spoke about uh, where the payment industry has been. Uh, India has seen a surge, basically. I would I would term it as a leapfrogging. So a technological leapfrogging, you know, enables the adoption of new technology uh, that usually bypass the legacy models or systems, mm. basically. So you being in this particular industry for a very, very long time. So how is your experience? Uh, and then I also have a pop-up question, which I'll park it for once, once, I, once I hear it from you. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, it's a uh, leapfrogging. Uh, I guess you know, we, we talk about that at a, at a country level or at a business level. How does a small company, it's almost a disruption in a way, right? So we talked about Uber and Airbnb being a disruptor in a way. They're leapfrogging their traditional uh, organizations. Um, I, I had a great experience. I, I, I mentioned I was with Citrix, and uh, in the early days, Citrix was doing remote access, essentially, allowing you to access your systems uh uh, different services from wherever you were and me being the the new wide-eyed sales guy turning up into India and saying hey uh, you should be buying Citrix because you can access your systems remotely and they're all looking at me and saying well but our telephone systems don't work or our networks don't work etc uh, and I remember at that point of time it kind of hit me that something had to change, and that's kind of when the 3G, 4G uh, acceleration took off in India. Uh, and, yeah, the time to get a fixed wire service in India was going to take years and decades probably to happen. I know if you look now, you go back and, yes, there's internet and fibre and DSL, but that wasn't going to happen 15, 20 years ago. And so what, what I saw in my own personal experiences was the acceleration of wireless networks um, in India, just leapfrogged a lot of those uh, you know, traditional hurdles that we waited for uh, tr traditional networks to be set up. Um, the the other area, you know, I think around that, you know, a good example I was just reading about the other day was uh, uh, in Rwanda, uh, the use of drones to deliver uh, medicines, and uh, this was even before COVID uh, came out, and so. You know, how do you break a traditional supply chain business? Well, everyone says, well, you should be setting up distribution hubs and the distribution hubs you filter out to smaller. Um, putting in drones was just, you know, something that, you know, was outside the, the box thinking and said, hey, we can deliver services incredibly quickly uh, and just leapfrog what was traditionally happening in a, in a supply chain mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh the, the next question that I have in the same discussion is, so do you really see those trends uh, more in APAC as we have a mixed markets, basically, matured and emerging versus, I would say, which are very, very matured, like US market or to an extent EMEA market? 
Uh, yeah, well, that's a, that's a good question. So I, I do see that, I, look, there are certainly a very develop, uh, certain big regions. So obviously uh, uh, APAC has a lot of emerging developing countries. Yeah, so does the Middle East, so does Africa, uh, so does Latin America. Uh, I see them happening at different levels. That leapfrogging, as I talked about before, we you know there there are smarter ways to uh, companies are trying to sort of disrupt traditional industries, and we see that with the Ubers, Airbnbs, and other banking, you know, online banking. Um, but I see more of the technology leapfrogging on a bigger scale happening across uh, countries in. You know, and in the developing, it's not just APAC. We, we I see more of it because I'm based here, uh, Ajit, uh, and I know and I follow it a lot closer. But I think uh, talking to my peers and colleagues uh, in Latin America uh, and in, in the African regions, they're all using technology to try and accelerate both development, productivity, competitiveness on a global on a global basis. But I think for us, we have a here in Asia, pack we have such a dichotomy between the Uber developed of a Japan or Australia or a Singapore and the, the incredibly emerging between maybe a Laos or Myanmar or something like that at, at, at very different ends of that spectrum. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that insights. Okay. Well, then uh, what do you think about adoption or adoption, basically? Uh, these are two different terms very variedly being used these days uh, of this newer technologies. And do you think what makes the difference or it's like it's interchangeably, basically. What what do you really think about it? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really good question. Um, you know, I I think there's yeah, a couple of things that um, they go hand in hand. To say that it, it's an all conversation in my own, own my traditional programming mind, I would say it's an and. It's not an or. So you, you have to have adaption and adoption. Yeah, you got to continually to adapt either your uh, uh, technologies that you've seen in other countries. Uh, that could work uh, with some modification or adaption, and you've got to drive adoption. So technology without usage uh, and without commitment to it is kind of pointless. And we've all seen the best technology dropped into a country, a company, and never being used and doesn't deliver the results. And I think if I started, you know, what, what I, I guess were in my commercial world where I work on a day-to-day basis, uh, there are so many organisations that buy technology, uh, have a great idea, they start the project, never really adopt it both operationally or part of the culture or fabric of that society, and then they don't get a lot of value uh, out of it. Um, yeah, the uh, and so it's really thinking about what's the longer term. You know, bringing the te- for me bringing the technology in, whether it's created homegrown or whether it's an adaption of somebody else is kind of secondary to how are you going to use it and how are you going to adopt it. One of the, the challenges we see often is that people, as look, I, I open up saying I'm self-confessed geek, that the technology bright lights, the shiny new toy sometimes uh, is more exciting than and focused on than uh, do I have the people, the skills, uh, the infrastructure to make this work? Um uh, and is it right for market? Um, there was, look, if you go back some time, um, there was a view that, uh, well, we'll dump our uh, cheap goods in certain countries in APAC, whether, and APAC shouldn't be seen as kind of 
the dumping ground for technology uh, from other countries. Uh, APAC is it by, as we're now seeing today, it, you know, is a sizable and substantial market in its own rights uh, and deserves and needs uh, it, technology that's right for market rather than uh, something that's uh, just, well, here's a, this works great in the US or this works great in Europe. It should work in India. It should work in China. It should work across the rest of it because our dynamics are very different uh, on it. So to me, they, they, they have to go hand in hand. I, I'm, I'm all for taking technology that has a great concept that needs to be changed. And payments, for example, is, is one system we've talked about. The uh, loan systems, microloans works great in a lot of our emerging markets. It doesn't necessarily work in a mature market like Australia, right? And so the adaption of the concept of aggregating funds, lending out in different amounts, pay repayments in different ways or securities in different formats, you know, is very important. Yeah, you rightly said it's adaption and adoption. And I think something which is latest and greatest has to be part of everything because that's where you're creating your newer markets. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's where the newer technologies or emerging technologies are really giving a better output. So it's economy of scale, I would say, in maybe in a broader sense. But yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But uh, OK, going going on to the next uh, thing. Your 30 years of experience, I'm sure you've spoken to you know, many leaders. So uh, when you're talking with company leaders and trying to help them navigate the idea of rapidly mm -hmm. changing technology, what are the things that you have them think about, actually? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> apart, apart from uh, how much force point technology can they buy? Um, look, I... Um, you know, I, as I said at the beginning, I, I'm a, I started in the business world and uh, my family, my father, my brother are kind of in uh, business leaders, accounting and uh, insurance, etc. not necessarily technologists. I'm, I'm the sort of uh, the tech head, the propeller head in the family and we... And I often get carried away with the technology uh, for the technology's sake. Hey, this is a great app, but what does it solve? Uh, and I think sometimes we... We create technology, then we go looking for a problem to for that to fit, right? Rather than have a problem and saying, "Well, what's the best and smartest way? Is this the biggest problem we've got, and can we use technology to solve it?" Uh, and I think that's you know, what I tr generally try to talk to business leaders about: What is your business strategy? What are you trying to solve? Who are your customers or your constituents? If it's in a government or organization, how are you serving them? And then how will they consume this technology? Because quite frankly, um, the biggest issue, you know, this every bit of tech out there is awesome. It works. It does things. But how will people consume it? And how, you know, will there be regulatory issues? Are there privacy issues for it? And let's say that you're uh, you're collecting a lot of information about, you know, some new tech is collecting a lot of information about your uh, customers or your constituents. Well, what are the privacy issues? Can you actually use this technology meaningful uh, out there and um, without crossing you know, regulatory uh, issues at the moment? Um, do you have the skills to support it? Um, you know, this tech looks great, but do you have the skills to support it? Do you have uh, the infrastructure in your organization when I say infrastructure I don't mean the technical infrastructure I'm talking about uh, the governance processes and frameworks as, as well um, and I think that's it's always going back to those kind of topics around the problems you're solving how does it better 
how does it improve your, your strategy or your delivery of services or products to customers? Uh, can you use it? Uh, are you allowed to use it? Uh, uh, etc. Those types of the topics what I would generally uh, talk to business leaders about rather than, hey, look, we, we do all these speeds and feeds, etc. Perfect. Uh, well, then I the next question I would have for you, which is, you know, um, uh, it's like a understanding your secret sauce, I would say. So you as a leader, what are your most powerful attributes? And I think I would call you as an APAC leader, basically. So yeah. do you, would, could you share some thoughts around it? Yeah, it, uh, look, uh, I, I guess it's a, uh, it's a, it's always tough to turn around and say, I'm really good at the following things. Uh, I think that, you know, I'll, I'll kind of just turn it slightly just to, so it's not quite as uh, me telling me about how good I am myself, but kind of things <laughs> I think are important and where I focus uh, on Arjit. Uh, and look, we did say at the beginning that APAC is not uh, a country, it's not homogenous. You know, I jokingly asked some of my colleagues in the uh, more developed uh, geographies, I said, what's the capital city of Asia, Pac? And they look at me strange and they think <laughs> I'm serious. Or what currency do we use in Asia, Pac? Uh, <laughs> and so I think the, the one of the most things, the important things for anybody working out here and what I try to coach my my global colleagues and executives who you know, work here at Forcepoint or any other company yeah, is a little bit about the differences in Asia Pack and that uh, the diversity and understanding that uh, every region, every country, uh, every even city operates a little bit differently. You know, what has worked for me? I have an absolute passion for the region. Uh, my Indian friends tell me I've travelled more in India than they have. <laughs> I, I could sit you know, down at Narrowman Point and send hours talking to somebody or just watching it. I could sit there in Delhi, and uh, whether it's a Connaught place or I could sit it down at the uh, um, Chandni Chowk and just sit there and watch life because I have a passion for the people and what happens and learning. And I do the same uh, in every country. Wherever I travel, uh, I get up in the mornings, I walk the city or sometimes I ride to brave brave the traffic and take my bicycle with me but you have a passion for the place and I think that makes you authentic and gives you an empathy for the country the people and, and where they're at so I call that sometimes being you need to be situational we've heard about situational leadership right you, you need to be aware of the culture the level of development yeah, where the priority of what you're trying to do in both the priority of the country as well as the priority of the, the, the people that you're dealing with. Um, I think you need a level of flexibility, and I, I consider myself very flexible. And, uh, again, back to the point of 30 years' experience, trying to learn each time and be willing to fail fast. Um, I, I've had screwed up the most monumental at times uh, because in my early days I walk in there, you need this product, you need this there, it works great in America, Australia and England and someone looks at me and says, okay, it's not going to work here, so get out. And so therefore understanding that even just because you've been successful in India once or in Indonesia or Japan once doesn't mean that you can take the exact same a formula uh, and apply to it. And so they're willing to constantly evolve or learn and challenge yourself and say, hey, I'm not smart. Uh, I maybe was lucky, but I know how to hire good people. Now, I have a saying, uh, I, I go to Japan, I've probably been there 50 times in my life. And every time I go there, I know a little bit, I, I realize I know less than I did the previous time. You become more self-aware 
of what's happening in Japan that it's actually more and more complex every time you you spend time there. And I think that's the right. uh, challenge to Asia. No, this is this is a super exciting conversation I'm having with you, and I think um, I'm I'm really thankful that you. Uh, share all the insights with us about your experience and about your thought process about the whole APAC as a geography. So it was fantastic to understand, you know, uh, about the emerging technologies and this whole new markets that we could that we spoke about. Also, uh, you know, just to I think to summarize to what you just said, just correct me if I go wrong. I think technological progress today has been, you know, uh, powered by innovations and human ingenuity, basically. Uh, also, I would say the speed at which the technology has been adopted and adapted, as you rightly said. And of course, the spread is actually tremendous today. Mm-hmm. So I, I see, at least when I look at 2021, where we are almost half the year right now, uh, I think it's a year of continuous change. And uh, if I want to talk it from marketing perspective, I think it's going to be a digital marketing space. And it's not the way the digital used to be. I think it's completely changed. And uh, I think everybody's trying to be at par when it comes to the digital. Doesn't Whether it's new markets or, yeah. The- and I think you, you raise a really important thing. People talk about digital transformation and they often yeah. confuse that with digitization of manual or existing uh, processes. Yeah. Uh, and so even the fact that we, we talk about seminars or digital seminars instead of seminars, yeah, that to me is, yeah, okay, it's a natural evolution and it was a forced evolution, but that's not really total transformation, right? True. And so, so there are new new areas, that, new ways that we've got to go to market because we're still sitting in the chair for an hour listening to someone talk at us versus engaging or interacting differently, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great point you made, no doubts about it. And that's where I see it's not the way the digital used to be. It's saying you need to the concepts of digital have changed. And I think it's a continuous change from here on the way we look at it, basically. Well, uh, thank you again. A few things, definitely. uh, I know uh, it would be very interesting to talk. How did you brave that traffic of Delhi, basically, on your bike? I I think if you're going to touch quickly upon it, and what kind of a food do you really love back here in India? If if, if, On your Indian visits, I, I would love to know about it. Um, okay, so how did I brave the traffic? Firstly, I was out at uh, five o'clock in the morning. Awesome. Uh, so everything's a about uh, managing the environment. Out at five o'clock in the morning, obviously Delhi gets light very early. I, I stuck right. to that diplomatic quarters from uh, Connaught Place out towards where the ITC Moria Hotel is because okay. I know the roads okay. are good because the embassies and the diplomatic enclaves. Uh, and at seven o'clock, when India wakes up over there in Delhi, and the traffic and the the, uh, the ricks start coming out, I got back inside the hotel very quickly uh, as well. Um, as for food, wow, um, I, I just love all of the food. But if I had to say something, you know, I, I have eaten a lot of street foods, and I'm quite you know willing to try things. There was a, there's there's a restaurant chain in India, Pashauri, which has a uh, uh, a lamb yeah. on the bone. I think it's, uh, I can't even remember the name, but as soon as I saw it in the menu, but you sit there, it's cooked on the bone, you pull it apart, they serve you naan breads the size of this. Uh, oh, they're God. in a lot of the ITC hotels, and which is not where I normally like to eat. I like to get out <laughs> outside and eat, but uh, right. uh, it was absolutely brilliant. You know, I've had it that many times. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I do have two more questions for you. Uh, The first question I would say is, is there any interesting read 
that you would like to share with our audience or maybe a book or anything anything on uh, your part basically yeah you look know, i uh, I, I tend to i'm a bit more of a uh, browser magazine person i, I love short articles because it kind of it, it's to me it's uh, it relates to me my view of asia pack lots of different mm-hmm. countries at, at different times so i spend a lot of time reading articles but you know, he, uh, my boss actually just recommended a book to me which i've started which is it's called uh, this is how they tell me the world will end the cyber weapons race and it's a uh, kind of part novel about really you know talking about yeah, you know, the, the the cyber war being actually more prolific than you know the physical war that's happening out there. So purely because I'm in that area at the moment, but it's actually just a really good, interesting read out there. And my boss uh, told me, so I have to be able to question him or answer some of his questions as well. But uh, uh, that's yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I'm finding that book at the moment. All right, I think uh, we got it, and uh, we'll try and uh, you know uh, tag it for you. One last question: Who would you like to give a high five, a virtual high five today? I, I'm going to be greedy, and I'm going to do two. I've got an awesome team I work with here at Force Point, uh, all my APAC leadership team. Uh, I won't mention all of them because it'll be a bit of a roll call. But look, they are incredibly supportive. They are people who will challenge me on a daily basis. Uh, it's what I love in a team, people who will continue to push. We, we work, we team well. We're, uh, you know, we're having great success uh, in the business and uh, I think that's as a result of their leadership and support. Um, but there's, there's, there's one individual. You mentioned at the beginning uh, my involvement with Heat for Sheep and that came around because of a you know, a woman I have the highest respect for, a lady called Uma Tana uh, Balasingham, who works currently at VMware, uh, running the channels. Uh, she joined me at a previous company and watched her development and uh, you know her growth now to being the channel leader at VMware. But more her, you know, that's an awesome career. What's more impressive is her passion for driving change for women uh, in the workforce to make sure that they can live out full careers. And you know, it's a it's another long story. But just her getting me involved uh, and some of the other people in that cause, uh, like John Lombard, the CEO of NTT and Asia Pack, like Patrick Rona, you know, we were all kind of the co-founders. And I think uh, that was driven by Uma uh, and Helen to really get some momentum behind that. I think it's been such a valuable learning for me. Uh, and hopefully we've given something back to change you know, the opportunity for women as well. Fantastic. So big shout out to Uma and uh, it's, I think great initiative what you guys are doing. So definitely hats off to everybody of you because uh, it's a very sensitive thing and it really needs to get it to an edge. You just can't just start and just leave. It really needs a lot of efforts to get it out of the fence basically when you start something like this. So, well, uh, thank you so much. You know, it was wonderful talking to you and, you know, uh, it was very, very interesting as usual, uh, the way you are. And since we started our you know, initial discussions, I think uh, it was always exciting to talk about APAC, the overall geographic nature, about your sales acumen. It's always been fantastic. So thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure the listeners who are listening to us would have got a great insights out of this. I hope you're fine if they want to reach out to you over LinkedIn or they want to sure. just give a quick... I, I, I am a bit of a social media uh, fanatic. I, I, I do. I try to you know, send a message back to everybody, or uh, uh, but absolutely look forward to it. 
fantastic. So uh, we will we'll tag his LinkedIn ID for you guys and uh, you can look out for him and then you can always have your, uh, you know, he's a great uh, person where he gives you a lot of insights. At least I definitely took a lot when I was, I'm still trying to figure out the ABAC as a geography. Uh, well, thank you everybody who's listening out to us and I hope uh, you are all keeping safe. Thank you to you, Brian, and you know, I love this. You take care of yourself and yeah, uh, some another day I look forward we cycling together and we hit one of your favorite restaurants. I think I would choose Mumbai rather than Delhi and I'll take you to some great interesting place. Awesome. Thank you. As long as we can have a good authentic dosa as well. Ah, awesome. There are many places. Fantastic. I, I know where to take you there. Fantastic. All right. Great. Thank you so much again. Uh, you have a great day. This is Ajit signing it off. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.